Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. Say it with me. The battle belongs to the Lord. Say it again. The battle belongs to the Lord. Look at somebody next to you and tell them the battle belongs to the Lord. Let it be known in this place today that you are not the one that's fighting the battle, that you are not the one to be responsible to win the victory, that the pressure's not on you, but as you turn to God today and you trust him with your life, the battle belongs to the Lord. And when you make that decision, it shifts your perspective because perspective is everything. Our perspective on things matters. How we see things, how we process things, what we choose to think on, who we choose to focus on, who we look to. And perspective is especially vital when facing giants in our lives. And you know, giants come in all shapes and sizes, all forms and types. And I dare say there are many giants in this room among us today like family issues and people issues and bills to pay, fears, anxieties, failures, relationship issues, weaknesses, addictions, you name it, there are giants in the land. And I don't know how big the giants are in your life that you've been facing lately, but I have no doubt that they are bigger than you can handle. And yet today, we're reminded that they're not too big for God. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you have at your disposal all of the resources of almighty, all-powerful God to face the giants in your life. And it's here in 1 Samuel 17 that we're introduced to a real giant. He stood nine feet tall. And there he is, in your mind, in your imagination, you can think, there he is standing, mocking the armies of Israel, mocking the king of Israel, belittling the people. He, he was such a formidable foe that notice the response in verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And all the men of Israel, when they had saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now, the armies of the Philistines, the enemies of God, and of this giant named Goliath, they were so intimidating that these men of war, these men of Israel, the fighters, ran away and were afraid. And the enemies in our life are just like this man. His name is Goliath. They are mockers and liars. And I'm sure there's a few mocking giants in this room and in your mind today. Because isn't that where the battle is? The battle is in the mind. The battle is in our thinking. And that's why the enemy's always, he always loves to accuse and to lie and to intimidate. But today we want to be reminded that the battle belongs to the Lord. 
He is our defender. He is our rock. Now, of course, if you choose to fight your own battles, God will allow you in your feeble, weak abilities to fight your own battles and to be your own defender. However, if you choose to trust in the Almighty God, He will be your defender, and what a great defender He is. And so here we have young David. For you note-takers, he's a teenager right now. We don't know exactly how old he is, but he's in those teenage years, and he hears the mockery of Goliath and says, what's going on? Well, why, why is this happening? And notice in verse 31, and when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. This is, by the way, King Saul. This is the leader of the nation. This is the representative of God to the people in leading them and overseeing them. This is the king that the people asked for when they denied Samuel his leadership. This is that Saul, the one that started out so well, the one that had so much potential. This is an episode in his life to show just what a weak man he is. And so Saul, it says, sent for him, verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him because you're just a kid and he's been a, a man of war from his youth. David has such great faith here. He's ready to take on the battle himself. If nobody will step up, David will step up. This young man filled with faith and confidence. He comes to King Saul, and King Saul says, you can't do it. And let me just warn you, church, whenever you take a step of faith in the Lord, there will always be people that tell you you can't do it. There will always be people there to try to talk you out of it. There will always be people there that will size you up and check you out, and when they come to the conclusion after all of that, they say, you know what, you can't do it. You're not able. Now, in one respect, there's some truth to this statement. He is just a kid. And in his own strength, in his own ability, he is no match. I mean, I imagine David about five feet, five, five you know, he's a short guy. And then the, the giant nine feet tall Goliath. So even if he's at six feet tall, he's still got three feet to look up to this guy. And you know, he's big and he's carrying these heavy weapons. He's strong. He's fought battle. So, so when you kind of look at it, if they were putting odds on it, I'm sure it was like a million to one that David's going to win. I mean, the odds are against him. The odds are against him so much so that in our culture today and really cultures around the world, when there is a situation where the odds are stacked against someone, they call it a David and Goliath situation. That's what we're dealing with here. But these aren't words of King Saul trying to protect David. They're just words of going, you can't do it. What do you, who do you think you are? And I believe it was also bringing some form of embarrassment to King Saul because King Saul as the leader should have led the armies of Israel toward the Philistines, not away from them. And now God uses a child to rebuke him and teach the entire nation a lesson. Can I speak to you just for a moment, you parents? There is great potential in your kids. God wants to use your kids for great things. Even though you might see their weaknesses and you might see the challenges in their life, God sees beyond their weakness and beyond their challenge and wants to use your kids and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until he comes for great things. 
Pray for your kids. Disciple your kids. Encourage your kids. Kids are so important to the heart of God that he reminds us as parents, those of us that aren't kids anymore, he says to us, hey, if you want to to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be like a little child with that childlike faith. Be careful, parents. Be careful how you disciple your kids. Don't be like Saul here, stepping out of the way, telling them he can't do it. Encourage them. Well, notice, as in verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant, verse 36, has killed both lion and bear with this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he's defied the armies of the living God. Well, David's some kid, isn't he? He's taking on bears and lions. This is a bear. David took on a bear. It doesn't say David took on a Build-A-Bear. This is a bear. You know, bears, big bears. Bears, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, you know. This is a bear. Like, have you seen bear's claws? Like, they're humongous with one swipe. You're toast. They run fast. They stand tall. But when a bear started to mess with his flock, he's learning at a young, young age how to be a good shepherd boy. And no bear was going to steal one of his dad's sheep. And he went after him. Not only did he take on a bear, but he took on a lion. Not a kitty cat, a lion. David took on a lion and prevailed. Sometimes we lose the significance of these true stories in the Bible. David took a bear on and took him down. He took a lion on and took him down. It says that he grabbed him by the beard. That means he was close enough to be within arm's length. A lion, a lion. You know, we were doing ministry in South Africa for many, many years, and probably go back again here in the near future, doing conferences and ministering to them. And whenever we served, we took a mission team out there, did children's ministry for them, VBS. It was awesome. It was wonderful. And because we work a a week and a half, uh, they usually take us on a day trip just to wind down. And on one of the trips, they took us to this lion park, this safari thing, where you get into this caged truck and you drive through and you get really super close to the animals. So this one was primarily lions. And, and before we got into the truck and before we went in the gates, the guy said, okay, I want you to know something. If, if you drop your hat or you drop your phone out of the truck, don't open the door to get it because these lions are fast and they'll be over there before you even know it and your life is not worth your phone or your hat. And I'm like, all right, I can, uh, yes. If I drop my phone, my hat, I'll let it go. I can always get another one. Until we started driving through and the name of the park should have been Lion Park in Florida because it was like all the lions were on retirement. They were old and gray and lying down and the only things they were doing were licking their paws and slapping flies with their tail. And I have to say, after a little bit of driving through the different enclosures, I started to think, you know what? If I drop my phone or I drop my hat, I'm gonna take my chances. These guys are lame. This was lame lion safari. 
I mean, they were just, they were lazy and lame and just like laying there like, man, I don't know, laying, letting everybody else do the work until we happened to be there when they brought a truck in with sides of beef in the back. And let me say, retired lions can move, man. And they got up fast and they ran and they went over and you're like, wow, they are fast. I'm glad that dude told us that because they move so fast and so quick and so nimble. David took out a lion for the sake of the flock. Now, for those of you that are still yet unconvinced, I am sure that there is a free day coming up at the Denver Zoo. So take advantage of the free day, go to the lion enclosure, hop the fence, and go say hi to the lion. Actually, don't do that at all because there'll be two news stories on after that. First, the one will be about you, and then they'll fly over, they'll shoot over here and interview me, or probably in jail. So why is pastors telling people to hop the fence? So don't do either one, all right? But understand, this young boy is learning at a young age what it means to trust in God. But you are not much different than him. Your path of life may be different, but your path of faith is the same. There are some listening to me right now that are in a place to take a big step of faith. It is requiring much for you to trust God. It may involve a battle or two or a giant. And if you don't have the right perspective, you're going to make the wrong decision. If you don't have the right perspective, you are going to become faithless. You see, many times we're overwhelmed by our situations and we're overcome by the enemies and and we're just, just taken so far away that we begin to lose heart as we lose true perspective and fear enters in and then we become anxious and our hearts are grasped with discouragement, ultimately defeat and destruction. If we were watching this situation, we see little David and big Goliath there, it might be very easy for us to come to the conclusion, oh, poor David. I wonder how long he'll last. Well, he lasts, it's two to one, he'll last five minutes. And it's three to one, he'll last, six. and you know, you start looking at the odds and you go, oh, poor David, poor David. But from God's perspective, it wasn't poor kid, it was poor giant. It wasn't poor kid. You see, from God's perspective, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord, and we need the right perspective. Isn't that exactly what happened to the psalmist? It is in Psalm 73. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Are you there today? I was almost gone. I mean, it was almost over. I was that close to the edge because I envied the proud, verse three, and I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Is your giant medical today? Is it a medical issue? Is it a diagnosis? Do you feel like the psalmist? It seems like, hey man, those guys don't even live for God and they never suffer. They never go through anything. They don't ever get any of the bad diagnoses. Why do they get away with that? And I have to pay the price. Is that you today? Verse four, they seem to live such painless lives. Verse five, they don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear their pride like a necklace. 
and clothe themselves with cruelty. I like this verse seven. These fat cats have everything (laughs) their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. And on and on the psalmist goes, sharing with us life from the wrong perspective. He's just in a season right now where he's not seeing things clearly. He's in a season where emotions have overwhelmed him. He's seeing things with the wrong perspective until we get to verse 17. In the New King James, it start, that verse starts out with the word until. In the New Living, it says then. Until then, I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally I understood. Which is why we gather together. God brings you together as a family of believers where you can then begin to understand once again with the right perspective what's going on in your life. To be encouraged, to be stirred, to be challenged, to be built up, to be edified, to be convicted. God has a word for you. And we don't want to neglect the gathering of ourselves together. We want to constantly come together. And I know there are those listening to us on the radio. And I know there are those watching online. But that, can't, that cannot be the only way that you worship God. It's sort of like watching online. If that's the only way you do it, that's sort of like living on vitamins. Nobody lives on vitamins. You need food. You need to eat strong food. And part of the food is the food of fellowship. And coming together, how was the early church so strong? According to Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The Bible says in Proverbs that a person that isolates themselves rages against all sound judgment. It's a foolish thing to isolate themselves. So much so that some pastors believe in this so much that they don't stream their services online thinking that will make people come. But that's not our philosophy. We just want to reach as many people as we can. And we know people are in the hospital. And we know people are sick. And we know people are in jail. And we know people are in their cars on their way to work. And we want to get the word out as much as they can. But it's never, ever, ever, ever a replacement for what you're experiencing right now with the church family. Whether you're a church gathered together one or two or one or two thousand, it doesn't matter. We need to be together. There is a power in fellowship. There is a power in being a part of a church family. There is a power of stepping in and stepping out. And here is David sharing the faithfulness of God. I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear and I'll kill this Philistine too. I love that faith. David says, verse 37, Moreover, the Lord, Jehovah, and you'll notice in the New King James, it, the, the word Lord is capitalized, and that's the translator is trying to tell us this is the name, Yahweh, Jehovah. Whenever you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, that's referring to Jehovah, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Those are not, you know, those sound so pious, such spiritual words. What a coward. King Saul is here. King Saul is sending the kid out to battle. Oh, go, and may the Lord be with you. You know, David's learning a lesson to go facing the enemy because later when he was a king, he made a similar mistake, remember? The chapter opens up in this episode in David's life when he was much older where it says, when it was time for kings to go to war, David stayed back. 
And by staying back, he saw Bathsheba. By seeing Bathsheba was a whole path of sin and destruction in his life that wrecked his family until he died. Because that's what sin will do. Sin will wreck everything that it touches. The wages of sin is always death. And King Saul's doing the same thing here. He's sending out, it's time for kings to go to war right here. And he's going, oh, go ahead, David. Why don't you go? And he does it with such spiritual language. Don't let the spiritual language fool you. This is a cowardly man, not filled with the spirit. Not only that, notice in verse 38, it says, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You know, it could be that Saul was a little embarrassed here. Uh, it could be that he just wants to protect him and see him stay alive as long as he can. But the armor didn't fit. And through this, we learn a lesson from David's life. You can't go to battle wearing someone else's armor. You're not going to go to battle being someone else. How much time has been wasted in our lives when we are envious of someone else? Someone else, what they have, what they do, who they are. No, we need to face our enemies and our giants with who we are, learning contentment and trusting in God. You know, this is a great picture too of ministry. You're not able to serve in ministry using someone else's gifts and someone else's talents. You are who God has made you and who God has gifted you to be. And David does the best thing here. He takes it off. He doesn't need man's armor and man's strength. He's filled with faith. So not only when you're taking a step of faith are there those that want to talk you out of it, but also there are those that want to lessen the step of faith. Oh, you know, go ahead and do it, but don't go so far. Go ahead and do it, but don't take such a risk. And go ahead and do it, but you better protect. No, take the step of faith. Take it off and continue on by faith. Verse 40, then he took his staff, David, took his staff in his hand, which was basically a stick, and he chose for himself, how many stones? Five smooth stones. How many enemies is he going up against? One. So you Bible students know, but for those of you that don't know, why do you think David took five stones instead of just one? Yeah, in the Bible, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, we find out that Goliath had four brothers. And maybe he was so filled with faith. We're not told exactly, but he's so filled with faith that he's also thinking, you know, once I take on Goliath, I'm getting his boys too. No one's going to mock my God. It was a battle that belonged to the Lord. So he gets these five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So here in the valley of Elah, with a brook coming through, he picks up these stones and he goes at the Philistine. So verse 41, the Philistine came, this is Goliath, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, which basically means he looked down on him. Uh, it's the strongest word in the Hebrew that can describe just really looking down on someone and ridiculing someone. So he disdains them for he was but a kid, ruddy, and good looking. And aren't you glad that although the world might have put you down and although by the world standard you don't measure up, aren't you grateful at a time like this that God looks at the heart and not just the outward? I mean, here we are, we come to God with what we are and he goes to work on the heart. He knows what's inside of you. He knows the real you. 
The world judges you from the outside, but God knows you. And it's not that our heart is completely pure all the time, but it does, our heart at times does have really good motives. There's a purity about us by faith. And so while he's just a kid, he's ruddy and goes, oh, you're just a kid, God looks at the heart, and I'm grateful for that. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Well, it says the Philistine at the end of uh, verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, and can't you imagine if, if, David, uh, if David was going through puberty at this time, and he's there and he says, you come to me with sword, I'm sorry, my voice, <clears throat> with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Man, you know what? You think you're going to feed me to the birds, but I'm going to feed you to the birds. I'm going to cut your head off. (laughs) It's like, okay, David, I fought the bear and I fought the lion. And you know what, Philistine? I'm going to cut your head off. But giants, they intimidate us, don't they? They overwhelm us. We don't often run toward the giant. We actually often run away from them because it's so hard. It's out beyond our ability. We're not able. We're not able. And we forget that we come to the giants in our lives in the name of the Lord. You know, in, in the ancient days, the name represented the totality of the person. And so when he comes to them in the name of Jehovah, he's coming to them in all of the resources and the power and the character and the nature of faithful God. That's who was fighting on his side. You know, today God's going to deliver you. You don't understand, Phil. You don't understand Goliath. You don't understand God. Because if you did, you would bow down today in your nine-foot body and worship him with all that you are. And because of you, because you don't, and because you defied God and you mock him, I'm going to cut your head off today. And I love that, David, faithful, loyal, courageous. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's important that you know today that God is for you by faith in Jesus Christ. God is for you. He's not against you. It's so easy to live our lives thinking that God is against us. Even Jacob felt like everything is against me. Elijah felt that everything's against me. I'm all alone. And that's a horrible way to live your life, seeing God as your adversary. You know, this concept of Santa Claus has gotten into our heads and we kind of think that God is some cosmic Santa Claus. That he's up in heaven and and finish this with me. He's keeping a list, checking it twice, trying to find out. Yeah, you know, you learned. As if God's just like, you know what? Naughty, naughty, naughty. He doesn't need to keep a list. He knows we're all naughty. Every last one of us. You go, Ed, how could you say that? Because the Bible says that. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't one of us that's innocent before God. And in order to remedy the problem of sin, Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, and he died a sinless death so that by faith and repentance, his life perfect would be exchanged for your life imperfect God is not just waiting to snap you and hit you and come down on you because you failed we all stumble and fall 
We all make mistakes. Some of us make more mistakes than others. And what the world and our culture calls mistakes, the Bible calls sin. They're the same thing. It's a grievous act against a holy and a righteous God. It's not just a little white line. It's not just a little mistake. And like, listen, sin is sin, and it, hung, it nailed Jesus to the cross. And you don't want to die in your sin. You don't want to die in, the, in this life not having dealt a death blow to your sin by faith. You know, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God is not your enemy anymore. Even though some of you, you have yet to do that. You have yet to repent of your sins, and so the Bible says that you are at war with God. In a very real way, you see God and feel God as an enemy because you're fighting him, and you're constantly fighting him. And what is God doing? He's made every way possible for the war to end and the war to cease so that now you might enjoy peace with God and the peace of God. What Jesus promised, a real and bona fide rest. God wants to give you rest today. Rest to your weary soul. Rest to all the bad mistakes you've made, all the wanderings. Uh, Jesus, he died for every bad thing you've ever said, for every bad thing you've ever done, for every bad place you've ever gone, for everything you've done against a holy and a righteous God. Jesus Christ died so you might be forgiven today, that you might have rest for your soul that you might come to the place where you can stand against the enemy and say, listen, Philistine, I'm gonna cut your head off today. I'm not gonna be fed to the birds. You guys are gonna be fed to the birds. We all stumble, and like God's kids, we're all growing up into maturity. I mean, though you parents, you understand this. Remember when you were teaching your kids how to ride a bike? Remember the day when finally it was time taking the training wheels off the bike? I remember I would, when I taught my kids how to ride their bike, I would hold the back of their seat and I'd run behind them and then I'd let it go and they'd get a couple pedals until they look back and go, where are you? And then they go, oh, to which I would run up and go, what's your problem? How come you don't know how to ride a bike yet? And, and just kick the bike and throw. No, nobody does that. You get them up, it's okay. I don't want to ride a bike anymore. No, no, you're going to make it. Let's do it again. And then you get it and you do it and then they do six more pedals and they fall again and you run and then the boo-boo, you got a pandate in your back pocket, you take care of it. And then finally they take off and you let go and they take off. They're gone. And then what do you do? You run after them because they don't know how to use the brakes yet. <laughs> if we as parents have loving compassion on our kids, how much more God loves you and has compassion on you. That he doesn't kick you when you're down. He doesn't belittle you. He doesn't make fun of you. If God be for us, who can be against us? It's perspective, isn't it? It's all about perspective. It's not the heart of God for you to always live your life looking over your back like you're gonna be snapped and like you're gonna be broken and like you're gonna be crushed. Perspective is important. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God always leads us in triumph in Christ and God is here to help us and he's here to strengthen us and he's here to fight for us. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. And I say to you today, if you have been away from the Lord, welcome home. Welcome home today that you might gain once again the right perspective of faith. 
that you can live your life facing the giants. And I know they're huge. And I know they're hard. And I know they're difficult. And he doesn't, you see, notice, David says to the Philistine in verse 45, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you and take your head from you. This day I'll give the carcasses of the camp to the Philistines so that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. Then all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You see, the battle belongs to the Lord. He doesn't save by sword and spear because if he did save by sword and spear, then we would take the credit for throwing it right or having a nice war plan. No, God, he doesn't always use the expected means to bring about deliverance. He doesn't use, always use natural and ordinary ways to bring about victory. He often uses supernatural ways. You see, so often when I'm faced with a problem, I'm looking at natural ways. Like, like if your problem today is financial and you've got money in the bank, you're probably going to write a check to solve it. And, you know, if you have a, an issue that re- that's in your life right now that requires a little bit of explanation and you understand the situation, you'll probably choose to try to explain it to them. If you are hungry today and you've got a few dollars in your pocket, you probably go to the store and buy some bread. Now, any of those solutions aren't necessarily bad, but here's the problem. We look to our own resources to solve our problems and then just take care of it without asking God for direction or wisdom or help. And we're in a habit, like we get into the habit of using our own resources until a giant shows up and you've tried all of your resources only to fail. Now, let, me, let me help you guys with something. I, I want to I teach you something. I don't ever want you to use this phrase again. Don't ever say this to someone again. Don't ever, if you've got a plaque at your, on your wall at your house, when you get home, destroy it when you get home. If you just painted your front room with this statement all over and you know, on top of the, the sofa on the wall there, on the way home, stop and buy some paint and paint over it, okay? You ready? I don't ever want you to say this. Don't say it to me. Don't say it to your mom. Don't say it to your friend. Don't ever say it. You ready? I don't see anybody getting notes out or nothing. Like, this is something you want to write down. Don't ever say this. You guys ready? Don't ever say this again. Ever. Ready? Promise me, don't ever say it again. All right. Don't ever tell somebody God will give, never give you anything that you can't handle. Don't ever say that again. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Name anybody in the Bible, any name in the Bible, and you will come to a season in their life when they face something that they couldn't handle. How about this? Every person that's ever been born has been born into sin, and they can't handle that, let alone the giant in your life today. The marriage issue, the diagnosis, the grief, the loss, the pain, the finances, I mean, the first step of really acknowledging your need for God is admitting that you are unable to solve the problem in your own strength. You're unable. Now, I understand that that phrase is connected to a Bible verse in 1 Corinthians where it says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And with every temptation, God has made a way of escape. 
But I just want you to think about that exegetically for a second. If you could handle every temptation that ever came into your life, why would God need to provide for you a way of escape? Just in the text itself, it reveals to us that even temptations are too much for us to handle. We must take the way of escape and the power of God to bypass temptation and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So please don't ever tell someone, oh, God won't ever give you anything you can't handle. Our whole life is filled with things that we can't handle. Why? So that we will come to our end of ourselves and cry out to God and say, you know what? You come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in all that I have, the name of the Lord. That's all I got. I don't got a lot of money in the bank. Don't lot of food in the shelves. I don't even have a job right now but I have the Lord and he's all I need. I face anything with him because he is faithful. And that's where David is. He says, just so you know that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel, I'm coming to you with what I have so that everyone will know that God doesn't save with sword or spear. I'm looking for human ways. Oftentimes I get discouraged because I can't solve the problem and I can't fix it. I despair because I can't see any way out. I, I tried to think of every single possible way. I just sat down and ran all the numbers and planned it out. If we do this, then this will happen and this will happen only to come up empty. And then I begin to worry because there's no way out. But God doesn't save with sword or spear. It's his battle. The battle belongs to who? The Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Your battle, my battle, because Satan is always, the devil is real, and he's always trying to get us into the flesh. He's always trying to get us to battle in our own strength. Why? Because he knows that he can tear us up in the flesh. He knows that it's over, that it's over before it even begins. He can wipe us out. The moment that he can draw us into the flesh to battle against him with our sword and spear, with our words and letters, with our emails, with revenge, with bitterness, and all of, the, all of the human ways that we respond to hurt and pain and fear and anxiety, as soon as he draws us into that realm, it's over. It's over. And a giant only becomes bigger as we shrink under the weight of our own sinful response. The weapons of our warfare are not human, the Bible says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. And David says, I'm not coming to you with some sword and spear. I'm not afraid of you. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. And I'm going to face whatever giants in my life, especially you, Philistine. I'm going to face you in the power of God. And the end result, notice, the end result in verse 48. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Everyone else was running away. David's running at the enemy. Love it. He put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, cut his head off with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran away. This is good bedtime reading for your kids. This is like, this is it. 
Like David's all taking care of business, throws a rock, hits him in the forehead, falls down, doesn't have a sword. Goliath has one, takes it out, cuts his head off. And that's, yay, David. David. Gets better. Verse, verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shaharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in it. Do you remember, can you imagine how big Goliath's head is? Like this dude, nine feet tall, he must have had a big head. And David's just carrying it around. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. What'd you do, David? You know, it's like, man. But it was testimony and evidence of the victory of God, not of David. It doesn't matter how big and impossible your giant is. God is for you. And before we head out, and before we finish, remember we're not heading out right away. We're going to wait on the Lord today. We're going to allow him to minister to our hearts. We're going to lay before us. I have a couple things to share with you that are very important. Number one, when you're facing your giant, number one, get your eyes off the giant. Get your eyes off the giant that you're facing. We get so overwhelmed with our problems. And the more that we look at our problems, the bigger they grow. This is what Pastor Chuck Smith has taught us through the years. I just went back and listened to a Bible study. He said it again. The more we look at our problems, the bigger they grow. Get your eyes off your problems today. It's important that you get your eyes back on the Lord. As we learn in Hebrews, consider Jesus focus on his faithfulness in your life. David had his eyes on the Lord and on the power of God and the end result of fighting in the spirit is always David prevailed. It's always, it's not just I will prevail, but the the end result was David prevailed. It's always the same. Number one, get your eyes off the giant. Number two, never forget that God is for you and not against you in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jude 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? God is for you. God has made available to you all the resources of heaven. The strength of God, the power of God, the abilities of God, the wisdom of God are all yours by faith. When God is for you, no giant can stand against you. No problem can continue to be there for nothing is too big for God. And if you as David today will get your eyes back on the Lord, you will go out in the name of the Lord and the giants will fall. Haven't we made so many mistakes being impatient with God and taking things in our own hands? You can know and have a victory that God will give you over every foe, including yourself, who tend to bring great condemnation on yourself for your past failures and your past mistakes. Trust God and his forgiveness in your life. May God grant you that victory as you head out this week that you might live by faith in the victory of the Lord.
This whole battle took place in the Valley of Elah. As a matter of fact, up on the wall behind me is a picture, a partial picture of the Valley of Elah. This is a big, up here is a big uh, hill that you can climb up and you can see right here is a brook that has a lot of rocks in it. And one of our last stops, and over here it's a wide open area, and then there's another hills over there. And, and on our stop, when we take teams to Israel, we will have a time in the Valley of Elah. We'll worship there in the valley. And then one of the pastors will share a devo, uh, usually on David and Goliath. And at the end, we encourage people to go right into that brook there and pick up rocks. And... On occasion, we'll say, you know, pick up a rock as a testimony of what God did here in this very valley and remember by faith that just like God has given victory to David, God will give victory to you. And sometimes we'll say, you know, take this rock and you can just go up on the hill and throw it against the enemy. There'll be no throwing of rocks today, by the way. But our sanctuary today is now turned into the Valley of Elah. And here are the rocks. You see those rocks right there in the Valley of Elah? You know where this rock came from? Home Depot. But it's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. Because God is very much into symbolism. He's very much into remembering things tangibly. Remember he told them to, to stack stones up in Ebenezer, called Ebenezer, so you never forget where you came from. God is very much into the symbolism of things. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you just right now, get up from where you're sitting and come up all around the stage. There are rocks available for you to take. And take a rock, and you guys get up. I know it's awkward, we don't normally do this, but that's everybody in the room is invited. Everybody in the room, just come up and get it. And go back. As Pastor Ian's going to be leading us in worship, it's a little awkward, a little, uh, you know, a little crowded, but don't worry about that. And you guys downstairs, there are rocks in the overflow room at the stage area, and you guys in the cafe, right up there on the welcome center, you just get up. I know it's weird. It's like, oh, this is not usual. That's good. Because I want you to leave here with a tangible reminder of the faithfulness of God. You know, for the last five years, I've taken rocks from the Valley of Elah. Because we've had a situation, a giant in our life for five years. And the enemy still mocks, still sends emails, still tries to intimidate us. And we're still waiting on the Lord. I have five rocks in my office. You might want to take a small one you could put in your pocket. You might take a large one you could put on your desk. And just be patient with one another. We'll all move around. We'll figure out how to do it. Climb on the chairs if you need to. It's all right. Let's not worry about that. But rather, let's put our hearts and say, Lord, I take this in Jesus' name. I stand against the giant in Jesus' name today. We have a greater than David today among us. His name is Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is reliable. He is the one that wants to be with you as you face your giant. I know it's there. I know it's not going anywhere. I know the giant's mocking you, making fun of you, maybe sending emails to you like I get or attitudes or gossip or slander. Hey, nothing's gonna stand up against the Lord. Nothing's going to be victorious against God. He is for you. Who can be against you? And so just come up and get them and we're gonna worship God. We're gonna respond to God with these songs of faith and these songs of praise. And even if it's a little crowded, you can get up after the song start. They'll always be up here. They'll be available toward the end of the service today that that God would say, hey, look, look, God is for you. Don't forget. I know it's just a little rock, but it'll, you'll never forget. You stand before your giant. Let your kids be an example and, and give, give opportunity for God to minister to your heart. Open yourself up to respond now. Let God minister to your heart through these songs.
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.